Hello, my name is Kirsty Stiles and I'm here with James Meadway, who's a senior economist at the New Economics Foundation for the weekly economics podcast. And this week, we're looking at the Institute for Fiscal Studies report on living standards. This is BBC Radio 4. The headlines this morning. The Institute for Fiscal Study says average household incomes have returned to levels seen before the global financial crisis. Well, I think we've reached a major milestone today in the British recovery. Happy days are here again. You can break out the bubbly and raise a toast to the government for restoring us all to prosperity. Or you can read the small print. Here's what's happening. Chris Leslie is the Shadow Chief Secretary of the Treasury. You'd have to admit that your fox has been shot, or at least severely wounded, Mr Leslie. Absolutely not. In fact, we welcome the report. The country is not poorer than it was. The richest paid the most towards dealing with our economic problems, not the least. It's a damning indictment, this report from the IFS, and the Chancellor is so out of touch. We're the people with the sensible plans. So the Institute for Fiscal Studies has made the headlines this week. James, can you tell me who these guys are? Well, the the Institute for Fiscal Studies is a very well-regarded, very well-respected think tank that does uh, research on big issues in economics. So big issues in particular around things like unemployment or growth or how much we should spend on research and development and lots and lots of big sort of economic policy questions. They've been around for a good few decades now and have a, a very solid reputation for producing very good, very high quality research. Now, the issue here, of course, is like everything else in economics, is that things are always an argument. Nothing's ever settled. So it doesn't matter how high and mighty you may be or how good your economics is. There's always something that you can find where there's a question that's being posed. And the, the important part is to try and understand what those questions are and to tease out what the different arguments about the research might be. Okay, doke. Uh, and what's the report that came out this week about? Well, th- this report is part of a, a short series that they're producing in the run-up to the election, looking at different parts of what's happened to the economy over the last five years. So this one's about living standards. It's about what's happened to people's quality of life, measured in a fairly sort of crude how much money do they have basis uh, over the last five years and over the period since the crash of 2007-2008. And what they found has been that basically on at least one of their estimates, they think that living standards for most people have got back to where they were in 2007-2008, so just before the crash uh, really hit. Okay, but um, they also say that the living standards fell from 2010 onwards so that's from when when the government came into power. Um, but they also said that that's inevitable. Uh, so what's inevitable about that? Well, th- this is where I'd probably take issue with how they're phrasing this. Now, I, I can understand the IFS are, are trying to be careful and politically neutral and the rest of it. But it's pretty clear, looking at their figures, that you have the crash happening in 2007 through to 2008, 2009, very severe recession that does not turn into falling living standards for most people. That living standards actually peak in terms of real wages in 2010. In 2010, you have the election, you have Australia, Austerity being implemented, really quite severe austerity, the worst for many generations in this country. Uh, And then straight away you start to see this impact on living standards. Now, all right, correlation isn't causality. The fact that two things arrive at the same time isn't a guarantee that the two things are actually related. But it's quite striking that even with this deep recession, you don't see this immediate decline in living standards. What you see the decline in living standards for most people is once you start imposing austerity. Okay, so how has the report been received? 
Well, I mean, it's attracted an awful lot of press attention because one way of looking at this, and, and you know, some people out there would want you to look at this, is saying that, well, the recovery's happened, everything's back to its pre-crisis levels, and, you know, it's all good, our economic uh, policy, whilst we're in power, actually worked. The difficulty with that is that it's very clear, actually, that living standards are still below what they were in 2010. That, in other words, things have got worse uh, since that point. They haven't really recovered since then. And also, if you dig a bit more into the IFS's own figures, it's pretty clear that uh, if you take account of how inflation has hit poorer households hardest, that they've been really squeezed over this period of time. That inequality, for example, could easily, in terms of income, have worsened over this period of time. So it's a bit more nuanced than the kind of whiz-bang, everything's back to normal picture. So um, up until 2010, uh, real wages were going up, living standards were going up. You put that down to... Keynes. Can you tell us about Keynesianism uh, in a few lines? Well, well this is this is kind of the, the response to the crash and, and what the government here and governments across the world did in the immediate aftermath of the financial crisis. Financial systems seize up, banks stop lending to each other, they stop lending to the wider economy, there's a very deep recession. What happens at this point is that a lot of governments follow what you might call a kind of Keynesian path. They say, all right, demand is falling in the economy, there's less spending, there's unemployment going up, there's a real risk that this is going to be you know, a very serious, very major recession, which of course it was. So they start spending. And they start spending more. Some of it's automatic, just you have more people out of work. They claim unemployment benefits, government spends more. But also they get less coming in taxes because there's more people out of work. So you have this kind of automatic Keynesian effect. When the recession hits, the government starts spending more, and that helps cushion the impact of the recession. And that happens all the way through, really until mid-2010, when the new government says, well, we're going to not do this anymore. We're going to impose austerity. Because the consequence of this government spending is that the government is now borrowing and has borrowed an awful lot of money. So we want to repay that money. So we're doing austerity, cutting spending, a bit of raising taxes. And we're going to do that to try and get rid of the big debts that we've now built up. Okay. And, and has it actually just been relentless austerity since 2010? Well, this is the other part that, that's quite interesting. That the, the coalition is formed in May 2010. They have the emergency budget in June and then another budget in November of that year, which have very strict, really, for this country, very strict uh, austerity targets. They're going to reduce the deficit by 2015. There's all this that's going on. By about 2012, with the threat of triple-dip recessions, with no recovery happening, with everybody from the International Monetary Fund downwards really saying that austerity hasn't worked and this has been a mistake, the government, you can see, actually, although they don't admit to this, eases off somewhat on its austerity programme. It's still there. They're still trying to push through the cuts. They're just not pushing it through at the rates that they said they were going to. OK, so did this easing off work? Well, it's, it's still austerity. So it still has the obvious social consequences. It still has all the stuff that we can see happening in front of us, you know, the queues at food banks and that sort of thing. It's kind of worked in the sense that the easing off has reduced the obvious restriction that austerity put on the whole economy. So you do get some growth and the rest of it. But if you look at some of the more obvious indicators of like what's been happening over the last few months or so, an increase in real wages has happened because oil prices have gone through the floor. That's just made things cheaper to buy. So real wages, your wages after you take account of prices, have gone up. This has got very, very little to do. The price of oil has got very little to do with anything George Osborne or the government has done. Okay, so um, we are coming up to the election. 
Uh, would you say that this this kind of um, summary from the IFS is something that the government will welcome and that they'll want uh, the electorate to hear? Well, I would have thought so. I mean, one way to spin this is to say that this is positive, that our plans work, we're back to where we were, we're back on track, everything's good. If you look a bit more closely at what the IFS has said, I don't think that picture really holds up. It's clear that the impact of government policies over this time has been very bad for very large numbers of people uh, in this country. And I think the evidence is there in the IFS report, if you choose to go and look at it. Okay, fantastic. Well, um, everyone should uh, go to the internet <laughs> and and uh, and have a look at the IFS report themselves and see what they think. So now we're on to James's jargon of the week. Uh, and uh, I personally, and, and I'm, I think even some politicians would confuse the the word, uh, well, government debt with, uh, with deficit. Can you tell us what the difference is? Yeah, it's, and I think some politicians have deliberately tried to confuse people on this. Um, but the difference between the two is deficit is the gap between what a government spends, so schools, hospitals, employing civil servants, whatever, and what it gets in taxes. So it's the gap between the two. It's the deficit on its spending relative to its taxes. The debt is just like the debt that you or I have. It's just the total amount of borrowing the government has made over time. Okay, so um, now we're on to the listener question of the week. Uh, which has come from Rod. And Rod would like to know whether the financial transaction tax or Robin Hood tax, as it may more commonly be known, will just end up being a tax on everyone's pensions and savings. James? Well, it shouldn't do. I mean, the idea with the financial transactions tax, Robin Hood tax, is that you're you're only applying a very, very small tax to uh, financial transactions. So you get rid of just the speculation. You just get rid of the speculation uh, and the worst kind of most sort of money growing kind of dubious bits of what happens in financial markets. You kill all that off. If you're talking about pension funds, they don't behave like this. They invest long term. They invest in big, solid, stable things like you know government bonds. They have to because it's people's pensions. So it shouldn't have that impact on things like savings and pensions straight away. It should just get rid of speculation, hedge funds, things like this. OK, James. Well, um, as always, an enlightening uh, few minutes that I've got to steal with you. Thank you so much for taking the time out to chat to me today. Thank you. If you have any questions about economics for James, then please get in touch with me at KirstyStyles1 on Twitter. Due to popular demand, uh, the weekly economics podcast is now on iTunes. You can subscribe now, uh, tell your friends uh, and listen on your commute. And if you think it's dead good, leave us a review. We'll be back at the same time next week. Banter of the week. How, <laughs> next, next week, how do you milk a sheep? <laughs>